0: good day everyone welcome back to the white column network i'm so delighted to be back on the program and i'm so happy to have you back with me it's happy new year so happy new year to everyone um wherever you're listening from in the world i hope you're out there you're staying safe and i wish you all the best in the new year 2020 brought with it um a lot of surprises but we're still standing strong and we're still here and we wish Uh, Well, we're going to receive the best out of the new year in 2021. So today we'll be taking an economic outlook for 2021. What are we to expect in the economy? In our local economy, there was contraction last year and there there seems to be metrics showing that there will be progress this year. So what areas or what sectors of the economy should we be looking out for for this progress? Today I'll be joined by a special guest she is a financial analyst at stairs business stairs business is a data-driven company here in nigeria and they provide timely articles and outsource data for readers, economists uh, firms and the likes so we'll be joined today by memishola Alonge, and she'll be taking us on the economic outlook for 2021 So sit back wherever you are, grab your coffee, relax, and listen. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having
2: me. Welcome. Um, So I already um, did your introduction Um, before now. I gave your citation. And uh, before we go into the topic for today, the economic outlook for 2021, um, I would want to ask, in your opinion, how would you... um, describe 2020 in one world in an economic world 2020 how would you describe
1: 2020 um i'd say overwhelming <laughs> <laughs> it was like it didn't end like it was like like one thing after another after another after another that just kept happening it was a lot it was a lot for everybody mm. yeah so overwhelming
2: Okay, I think everyone can agree from that perspective that um, we, the pandemic was unexpected and it took a huge toll on the economy. And from the forecast we've been seeing for 2021, it seems that we have hope on some progress. There has been reports that the global economy is going to expand by up to 2%. What's your take on that? Oh,
1: definitely. Um, Things will um, sort of... I, things will never, would not get to normal this year, at least. Um, but things will stay a lot better than it was in 2020. Um, that's because, as you know, there are already vaccines and people are already getting vaccinated. Um, but obviously, there's 7 billion people in the world. Even if 20% of the 7 billion people, or 70% of the 7 billion people, rather, were to get vaccinated, we would not be able to do that in 2021 right so um we know that the world cannot get back to normal we can't get back to pre-2020 levels this year but um things like trade one major issue that affected us in 2020 was that china shut down so because china shut down the rest of the world that was providing things from china or getting things providing things to china rather providing commodities like crude oil for instance, um, and getting um, finished goods like electronics and things like that from China had to literally stop because China was, a, was locked down. Um, so we, so at least we know that's not happening in 2021, at least for now. We suspect that wouldn't happen. Um, so things like that means that um, at this crude oil, we've already seen crude oil prices increase. We're already seeing um even demand, you know, is getting back to normal. So even with the second wave, 2021 is definitely getting better than in 2020. So we're already stabilizing. That's why we're able to go at two um, percent. For instance, in Nigeria, that suffered um, a contraction of six um, percent in Q2, we wouldn't see that this year, right? We would not yes. see at least. Um, So far, we don't expect that kind of contraction again, because that was majorly driven by um, the lockdowns and, you know, crude oil prices, the deep in crude oil prices and production. So we're seeing that um, crude oil prices are already increasing, although production is not back to pre-2020 levels, at least we we expect that the um, prices would sort of make up for... The shortfall a bit, and um, we're not getting back to that level where we were in 2020. Mm, but mm, okay, um, I mean, I guess there's progress for us, so um, yeah, so things like that obviously give us hope that we're getting back to normal. Some sectors of the economy that um, you know suffered or you know contracted a bit, like hospitality. Mm that contracted in 2020, we're not sure that hospitality will get back to normal, right? Yes. That's difficult to say because um, people are still, like, the vaccines we still need to get to as many people as possible. The world has to get herd immunity before people are more comfortable, you know, going out there and, like, you know, traveling as much as they were before. Okay. The economy, the, those kind of sectors, the hospitality sector would um, come up a bit. We would you know, improve a bit, but we can't say we'll get back to pre-2020 levels. Mm-hmm. Also, sectors like education, um, there, are con- there are schools in the U.S. that have had to, sort of, universities that are considering literally shutting down because they can't afford to stay open. A country like Nigeria, um, we've seen, I mean, apart from the strikes for public universities last year, mm-hmm. for a while, I mean, we didn't even feel the strikes as much as we should have because there was a lockdown and because even with this, even without the strike school schools would have still been shut. Um, so
2: But Michelle, like, hello. Hello?
1: Yes. I okay, think if if yes. you don't
2: if you don't mind if you don't mind okay, I would want to You you talked about education, but we we will come to that soon enough. But I would want us to focus for just a short while on the oil and gas sector, because um, I asked um, a couple of people to send their questions and concerns regarding what my face in uh, the oil and gas sector. So I compiled them, and one um, question that kept popping up is, um, you know, we had the issue of fuel subsidy. Um, and yes. the removal of fuel subsidy. So what impact, in your opinion, do you think that fuel subsidy have in the Nigerian economy as of 2021?
1: Um, so, like I said, you already mentioned, for instance, that the fuel subsidy was removed last year. And like I said, oil prices are already increasing. So the, basic, the, the thing with the oil subsidy is, basically, the government was paying the difference between the amounts were given the the four pump amounts and the amount that marketers are getting it from um, the depots. The amount so that difference was what the government was paying. So when we remove that subsidy, right, what happens is that people start to pay a reflection of the crude oil prices or the petroleum prices, which is also a reflection of crude oil prices. So now, if if fuel subsidies if, if the fuel subsidies are indeed removed, what we would see is that all prices, petrol prices, would definitely increase. So, when that increases, um, people will start, to, obviously, there will be some issues. Um, we would see things like core inflation, headline inflation actually increase. Inflation would increase because energy is a major um, portion of our inflation bucket.
2: Right? Yes, yes. So,
1: when that price increases. So you're telling me that transportation prices will increase electricity, power prices, because we're not, obviously, electricity from the grid is not powered by petrol, but many Nigerians in their businesses and in their homes depend very heavily on generators, and they use petrol for these generators. So that would definitely increase prices. So that would then have a negative impact on inflation. We would see inflation increase or maybe stay high. Um, so even if it was to reduce, the reduction would will not will, will be affected by full pricing. So that's one thing that we should see. However, there has been a bit of um, speculation on whether, indeed, the government would keep the full subsidy removed. Um, we, um, we got this full subsidy removed because of um, some IMF, requirements, and the World Bank also wanted us to sort of cut off um, unnecessary spending so that we could get access to loans from the World Bank and IMF. So now that we've gotten these loans, um, chances are the government might want to still reintroduce the subsidy. There has been no formal announcement about that, but there's a possibility that that will happen. And if that happens, right, then we would... Um, see that even if
2: the prices increase, they will not increase as much as the reflection of crude oil price increases. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Well, that, that's a wonderful uh, perspective, um, I like how you were able to walk us through the need for subsidy. And um, in the final um, question we we'll asked for the oil and gas sector, um, do you think it has a hand in the recession we're currently going through, the issue of um, you know, we, like last year 2020, we had uh, production cuts by OPEC we had uh, um, the oil, um, the global oil price fall. So, do you think that um, our oil sector has a major hand in our recession we are currently go through, going through here in Nigeria?
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, the oil sector is the, <laughs> is like the government's um, major revenue source, right? So, we get a lot of our, our um, the government gets a large portion of its revenue from selling crude oil. And when the crude oil prices are low, the same way we saw in 2016, when crude oil prices dip, obviously we don't, the government doesn't get as much crude oil. Apart from the prices, just like 2016, again, production quantity also reduced. Unlike 2016, where the production prices reduced because of vandalization of pipelines and the issue at the Nader Delta, this time, people were just not buying. So we had the oil um ships were literally stranded on the sea waiting for people to, you know, take on the oil from them. But we had the oil, we're ready to give it out. But no one was up people were not willing, or a uh, normal suppliers or normal buyers rather, were not willing to get them because of the um whole um lockdown and all of that. So this time so so what so that obviously prevented the government from getting as much revenue as possible, especially in foreign exchange. And when there's no revenue in foreign exchange, there's, it's I mean, we're, we're stretched to be too thin. If you followed the CBN um, circular last year, the CBN just kept literally pounding on people that had foreign exchange because yes, it was just too yes. difficult to get. There was a lot of backlog as well from investors that had invested in Nigerian securities and you know, wanted to withdraw their investments and wanted to take their money out, they couldn't get their money out because there just wasn't enough. So but then what then happens is that the government is unable to then sustain. I mean, revenue is revenue dwindles. And when the revenue dwindles, people are unable to get foreign exchange to bring in um, raw materials, to bring in finished goods to sell, to bring in a lot of things. So that stalls a lot of production. It stalls a lot of trade. It just really makes us... Um, it really spreads us to things, right? So um, that is what then led to the recession. And plus, apart from the um, crude oil situation, we also had the fact that there was a lockdown. Businesses were literally unable to, you know, um, they were unable to do any form of trade, any form of transactions because everyone was locked down. Yeah. Also, and that sort of spilled over to income. A lot of people lost their jobs. MBS had recorded quite a number of people that had lost their jobs. And the funny thing is, if you follow the MBS um, reports for the COVID 19 um, updates, or like COVID 19, um, I forgot what the thing is called, but the MBS conducted some surveys. If you follow it, you'll notice that even by October, when things were getting back to normal, when the government, when people were getting jobs back, when people were getting employed, they were getting employed in agriculture. So, they were not even getting employed in, like, normal, their normal <sighs> business. On the service, services in, sector. Exactly. They were getting employed in agriculture, which meant that, and agriculture, I mean, at the time, it was October, right? That was the harvest season. It was natural for people, more people to get employed at that time, which meant that every single job, or those jobs were mostly seasonal. So, in a time like this, or by the time it's like March, those people would no longer have those jobs, right? Because at least the harvest season, so things like that just really affect the economy, okay. But, um, um, I don't expect that to be the case this year, I don't expect it to be at least as bad as it was last year. Okay. Um, okay. crude oil is getting back to normal, we're going to be able to do trade as usual. Hopefully, the CBN gets okay. enough dollars and you know clears off all the backlog and all the strain that um, we've had to
2: face in yeah. 2020. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting you mentioned trade, yeah, because funny enough, that's our next um, sector we're going to look at. The African Free Continental Trade Agreement was signed, um, was ratified by, the, by our National Assembly this month in January. But um, there seems to be a, a bit of delay in the, impl- in the implementations of of the letters of the law, and um, there has been criticisms from scholars and others that the Nigerian, and not just the Nigerian, and the African continent as a whole, we don't have the policy framework to to make this sort of gargantuan deal work. So the first question here is this: Do you believe there are any positive effects um, before that? Is before this? Do you believe there are any positive effects to the closure of borders we had, vis-a-vis? the AFCFTA, do you believe we should continue with closure of borders or do you believe that the opening, the free movement of goods and people will do us, service in the long run? What do you think?
1: Um, so, like every single policy, there are winners and losers, right? Yes. The closure of, border, of, of borders, rather, they were big winners, big, big winners. So agricultural companies like um, um, Presco, Okomo Oil, those companies really did very well. They did so well in 2020 when everybody was running at losses and everything. Fresco and this and, and Oil, they did very well. They were recording record high um, profits and revenue. So, um, and that was because they were the major suppliers, right? People weren't importing as much, so people had to sort of rely on local production. And, you know, they were able to crash in on that. But while some few people were benefiting from it, the rest of the country was suffering. Food inflation as like of December was 20%. I don't know if you've seen the new NBS um, uh, report, but food inflation was 20%. So that was a major problem, right? So yes. the country literally suffered from... The fact that borders were closed, and apart from that, um, so I I do not I don't buy border closures. Like I understand that the government was doing it for protectionism, but if you're going to protect a sector, right, the sector has to at least be able to provide the goods that you're um, closing the borders for, exactly at a reasonably low rate, right? Yes. So usually the sectors that are um, protected they have sort of grown to a level or they're able to... So what the government does in such situations in other countries, because, I mean, there are sectors that are protected in a lot of countries, especially the agricultural sector, is protected in a lot of countries. But what the government does is that they then provide subsidies for these sectors such that when you are selling goods to people, they're selling it at a low rate because the government is paying the difference. The price difference. But that's not happening in Nigeria. So what we see in Nigeria is that the government gives loans to people to farmers to farm. But that's not enough because if you're giving loans to farmers and then their cost of production is still high, they use up the loans, they can't expand their farms after the planting season they sell to customers or to consumers like you and I at very high rates, and that prevents them from... I mean, that's a cycle, a never-ending cycle. And then these farmers are not even... They're not farming. They're, it's not mechanized farming. They're farming in, like, with crude methods, yes. which makes everything slow. Yields is reducing. So it's just not working. If the government decides that, you know what? We'll still close... If they were to close the borders and then provide subsidies for the farmers, we would not feel the impact as much. And it's the same thing that we saw with petrol, right? Nobody was feeling the impact when prices of crude oil was increasing, apart from the government. So in a case where the government sort of does that for um, the agri sector until there's enough um, production for the sector to stand on its own, then, um, you know, that would be a good solution to a good... um, complement to the border closures. closure. Yes, so yeah. I do not I don't subscribe to border closure except we have all the things in place for it.
2: Okay. Now I think it's it's quite interesting what you mentioned there because um As you rightly said, there were some big winners uh, uh, when it came to border closure last year. And people went online to complain on blogs and how come there is lockdown, but uh, Dangote trucks are not locked down and stuff like that. So um, now we're going to look at the um, second um, question under the AFCFTA. Um, In practical terms, do you envisage um, the AFCFTA as a success? Um, given what we um, discussed earlier, saying that the, the Nigerian um, and the African continent as a whole will lack um, the framework to uh, make this deal, the policy and economic framework to make this deal work. I remember just on 4th of January, the African Business News were reporting that the AFCFTA can't launch as expected in January, because there seems to be delays from one or two nations, especially the heavyweights from taking the lead to um, implement the deal so that the little countries could follow. So just in simple terms, do you, in, in practical terms, do you see this AFCFTA as a success, as something that could be a success pending all these barriers? Um,
1: it's too early to say, really. Um... With many trade agreements of this magnitude, it takes time, right? Um, It takes time for it to roll out. So um, we don't expect that trade will start. Well, I didn't expect trade to start on January 1st. I didn't expect everyone to not be ready, you know, be moving their goods. Um, It takes time for it to settle. And um, like you mentioned, a lot of countries are yet to fully set up the machinery to make such agreements successful. For instance, in Nigeria, um, I remember some months ago I spoke on the Nigeria for about the Apapa port. There were over eight hundred million naira worth. Oh no, I think eight hundred million or hundred million or something a nair worth of goods at the port that could not be cleared, yes. exported because of um, they had to get the um, the, um, forgotten what the form is called, but they have to get a form that sort of authorizes them to export and guarantees the government that they would return the um, the um, export proceeds back to the they will remit their export proceeds back to the banks that they use, right? So all these fights for dollars is still the same thing, right?
2: Yes, it is. What about Apart the... from that? Yeah.
1: Sorry, apart from that, we also have a situation where the pots are highly inefficient. For instance, in Nigeria, we literally physically scan containers at a Papa Pots. That's so inefficient. Like, that, that's just a lot of work. Mm. However, um, we've seen that other pots in the country have tried to open up. For instance, the Onne Pot was um, fully commissioned last year and Maersk, Maersk, a large um, shipping company yes. in the world, yes. also set up a terminal at One Port. So I yes. see progress. But there is no guarantee that tomorrow people will start. Because for instance, people have been using a Papa Port for ages. You can expect me that is used to using a Papa Port to change my operations, even if my market is closer to um, the south, right? It's close to the south-south where One is chances are I would not immediately pack up and leave and move because that that means changing my operations drastically. So, for instance, a company that maybe has bought 50 trailers and they have these trailers down and they use these trailers to move their goods from Mapapa to the South-South. What are they going to do with their trailers when an airport is fully functional? I'm not saying that they wouldn't move, but it's just going to take some time for them to fully change their operations. Yes, it's going to cost a lot lot um, of
2: inefficiency for them.
1: It's, it's just a lot of work to then switch up like that. And, but it's going to happen, definitely it's going to happen. Yeah. So the fact that other thoughts in, in, in the country are coming up, the fact that we're working on a rail line from Apapa to lagos Express, Express, um, that means that there's a lot of progress. Would we see any major moves? Any Would we, would we see Nigeria make any major, major AFCFTA moves this year? Maybe not in the goods trade segment, maybe not in like actual goods and services, because actual goods rather, because there's still a lot of work to do. Even our land borders, they are not fully secure yet. So that means that when we start allowing people to bring in in goods under the free trade agreement, there'll be loopholes. No, there's nothing stopping someone from bringing in goods that are not fully. So, for instance, even the rules of origin agreements or negotiations are not done yet. So because we haven't fully agreed on what our rules of origin agreements is or negotiations are, it's difficult to then say that tomorrow we will be able to stop goods that are not supposed to come in and will freely allow goods that are meant to come in. Another thing is, I'm not sure, because I remember searching for this earlier this week, um, the exemptions, because you know 10% of our trade lines are supposed to be exempted yes. from trade. I'm not sure I've even seen, because I searched and I couldn't find what goods are exempted and what goods are not. So things like that are just not, are just what makes us unprepared to fully take on this trade agreement. But as time goes on, I believe that we will then sort of open up to
2: it. Okay. Okay, that, that's that's a wonderful uh, uh Perspective you took, um, uh, we hope, hopefully, because we're looking at um, a kind of pan-Africanism through this trade agreement, that we could be able to move goods and, and services across borders without much hassle compared to what we had in the past, especially as we couldn't. I think, oh, ECOWAS tried this a couple of years ago and um, it hasn't been as efficient, but now we are bringing the whole African continent um, in on the trade deal, and hopefully, um, we could get this up and running as soon as possible so we'll be taking a, 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 I want you to take just we want a global outlook now just for a very um, short uh, answer here because it says what do you see a further contraction in the economy in 2021 or are there signs of good for you i know you mentioned earlier um, in this episode that things are looking up that it's not going to be as bad as it was in 2020. But what are the pointers we could use to judge um, our progress? Um,
1: So one thing that we can use to judge is... um,
2: because um, you mentioned, I think you mentioned in your article sometime um, with stairs Business, we were too focused on uh, um, exchange rates, we were too focused on how much is the Naira to the dollar or the Naira to the pound, and uh, bringing up um, different metrics, with brought up metrics of unemployment, brought up metrics of, uh, of uh, unemployment, and also about earnings, what different sectors of the economy uh, and mm-hmm. and all that. So, what should the average person of the street try to say? Okay, I want to know how good are we performing? What should they? What metric should they use to judge progress?
1: So, for Nigeria or globally?
2: For Nigeria no.
1: Okay, so for Nigeria, I guess one thing at the end of the day, yes, I, I indeed. Um, what that article was saying was beyond these other metrics, right? Yes. There are other things that you need to focus on. So, for instance, it's one thing to look at um, um, growth. One thing that we need to look at is output growth. What's GDP like, right? Yes. What are they saying GDP is like? But beyond that, a classic example of a country that witnesses very good GDP growth, but other sectors are dwindling or suffering, was Egypt. Egypt, during the time of, prior to the um, Arab Spring, yes. was doing fantastically well on paper, but unemployment was to the roof. It was bad. They were making a lot of money, but the money was not getting to the people that mattered. It wasn't getting to the majority of the population. So definitely, look at um, growth, right? Look at GDP, and then look at the components that are making up that GDP. So if you look at our GDP today, we see that something like agriculture, culture is thinking about, I think, um, 15%, 15%, 20% of our GDP, but, and so is so employment. So one sector you want to look at is how is agriculture doing. Thankfully, agriculture didn't do too badly. But then other sectors that we look at are sectors like telecommunications. ICT did fantastically well um, in 2020, right? So how then is this sector doing, and how much of this sector is being employed? Another thing we need to look at is welfare. So we mentioned a a couple of welfare um, issues, you know, poverty, um, um, multidimensional poverty, um, which is a metric or an index that covers education, health, and all of that. So you also need to look at that to know how exactly the GDP that we're earning is spreading to other people. Because it's very possible that Nigeria grows today, Nigeria grows tomorrow. Yes, people are suffering. So that's how you know if indeed a country is actually developing. So it's beyond, beyond growth, I mean growth, GDP will show you growth. GDP will show you that a country is growing. But beyond grow, growth are we expanding? Are people actually feeling the, the development? The impact of this growth, right? So that's those are things that we need to check out. We need to check out the major sectors, okay. sectors that grow and yield benefits. Another sector that employs a lot of people is education. Education contracted. Things like transportation, they contracted. So these are sectors that employ people and employ people that depend on seasonal or I would say daily earnings. So something like transportation, I think it contracted by over 20% in like Q2 2020. What that meant was that a lot of bus conductors and bus drivers and I mean, that's what makes up education and transportation, right? So yes. when these people, when this sector contracts, these are the people that it's feeling the impact. So those are things that we need to check out. So we check out crude oil. How is crude oil doing? Because once crude oil is dwindling, everybody else suffers in the country because the government starts to make very funny policies that affect everybody. Yes, yes. Then, you know, GDP, look at welfare, employment. Um, However, employment is a very tricky one because NBS doesn't release a lot of employment data very often. That, yeah, so it, it has seems to so. So it's hard to follow if indeed employment is doing very well. But then things like healthcare, thankfully, um, the World Bank collaborates with MBS on some um, household surveys, and the NBS publishes this report. So that can give you a glimpse of how much people are spending on healthcare, how much people are feeling. How much are they? Going, how are people doing? How are people faring? Um, and then obviously exchange rates. Um, okay. But beyond that, it's important to look um, at other
2: sectors. Things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So th- this um, you rightly mentioned um, that we should look at non-oil um, sectors and also look at how oil performs and other metrics apart from uh gdp we could also look at, at the exchange rate and also also look at uh, unemployment so now we're talking about the non-oil exports and we just want in if, if possible in two sentences because we've seen a lot of um, m&a activity in the tech sector at least that was apart from the uh, the disappointments of the oil sector last year we had a massive growth in the tech sector with, with the acquisition of um stack by Stripe. So, now, the non oil export revenue has been poor in recent years and there seems to be progress in the tech sector where there seems to be a lot of M&A activity. What are your guidelines? If you just if you could just give us two guidelines for transmitting this growth in the tech sector and spreading it to other sectors of our economy. Um, To be very honest,
1: um, there is no one-size-fits-all solution. So, whatever... You
2: have one minute remaining. Hello, Mabishana.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, apologies for the breaking transmission. No
1: problem.
2: Okay, you were discussing that we were about to discuss the non-oil exports, and, and you were saying it's not a one-size-fits-all to transmit the growth we've had in the tech sector to other sectors. Yes. But what would you recommend? Would you say M&A activity? Um, what would you recommend?
1: Um, so one other sector that's actually been receiving a bit of M and A in recent times, you know, M and A was some FDI, some investments, you know, um attention has actually been the mines and skills sector. So we've seen a bit of a couple of um investors coming to do gold, we've seen a couple do um, actual metal extraction and manufacturing, transportation has also received a bit of an investment, um, according to the uh, report by the NIPC, that's the Nigerian Investment Promotion
2: Council. Um,
1: So, we've seen quite uh, other sectors co- receive some funds. So, for instance, um, $1 billion was uh, invested in, a, I think, a metal, a metal construction company in um, Kogi State. I think it was last quarter, or a few months ago. So there's, there's been a bit of um, traction there as well. Hmm. And the reason for that is basically the willingness, and which I guess the um, the tech sector has also, um, um, has also done just the willingness to do business. And the way you show the willingness to do business is either by scaling businesses that are successful. For instance, FaceTac had already done quite a lot of work in building itself by itself, in Nigeria and in other parts of um, other parts of Africa before you know getting acquired by stripe. Yes. In the and steel sector, the reflection of willingness is through the Ministry of Mind and Steel literally telling people that they are ready to do business. Mm. And allowing um, giving out um, certificates or permits for exploration to private individuals mm. right and that's something that we saw with the telecom sector the telecom sector scaled because the private sector from regardless, regardless of where it was coming from either within the country or outside the country was allowed to do business in that sector it was tell before but then once it was once that sector was um privatized once it was allowed once it was liberated or i'm not sure that's the word that is. <laughs> but once um, there was some indication from the government that private organizations could come and set up yes that's when it was it, it was it was open and today we see how much the telco sector employs and how much it contributes to nigeria's economy either directly or indirectly so it's basically saying I am willing to do business with the rest of the world, and that could be either through the government doing making activities, creating, easing mm-hmm. business. So the mines are still, um, the Ministry Mines are still not allows now, gives out permits for exploration, with ease. that's saying, okay, come and do it. We we'll would let you do it easily and best and, and well, right? And that's yes. that's one thing. So um, I think that that's basically we just need. Like the government doesn't need to be overbearing by trying to do it. Like mm. that's not really what you should be doing. It's mm. just creating an enabling environment. Mm. If it's transportation that we need, if you want to, if if you need transportation, do it. So from the last um, World Bank, um, um,
2: is of doing business.
1: Sorry, it's not, it's not doing business. Multidimensional poverty report. Okay. We saw that, like the World Bank was suggesting, recommending to Nigeria that one area that we need to improve in order to improve other sectors like health, education, is electricity. Once electricity is available, health care, some things that we need electricity for, rather than spending money on um, fuel and things like that. Hospitals are actually spend money on ensuring that there's enough supplies. And even the fact that there's electricity would mean that the machinery and the things that you need to conduct like proper healthcare yeah. is that would we'll be will be you'll be able to use it right. So once electricity, like that's the advice, it's electricity and you see other sectors start to um improve. So that's one thing that the government needs to do and creating an enabling environment. And one thing that and, and the, the reason why the tech sector is able to scale the way it has is because it's the knowledge based sector. So whether you like it or not, whether it's done in Nigeria or done anywhere else. It's it, 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 it literally there's no hardware that you can carry of your laptop of course but it's all in your brain <laughs> and in the that doing it, right exactly so because that is because because it's it's a knowledge based sector it's easy for the things for the work to be done smoothly without how do I put this now um, any hassle uh, government interruption exactly exactly and I think that that's why the government Um, I mean I, I stand corrected but I think that's why the government was slow to sort of catching on on that sector because really? you really you can't hold it down like the, in the person's brain. So, um, more knowledge sectors, more knowledge based sectors would, would, would come up. Another thing is, we expect expansion. With the AFCFTA now, companies do not necessarily have to go and set up in other countries to do business with those countries. Yes. So, from Nigeria, we can do business with other countries with ease without having to pay tariffs and all of that. So, we would see more. Nigerian technology companies expand to other countries to offer services to those countries. And that that would be good for us, right? So apart from creating an enabling environment within Nigeria, it's important for companies to also sort of look outside Nigeria, look at expanding their operations, especially their service base, because now you don't need to set up in another country, except the country has exempted that line of business. Mm. but now you don't need to set up there you can offer your services from nigeria to those countries and um with ease or easier than you could
2: before okay okay yeah i think it's it's something we're all hoping to do and it could take off some government burden and we could begin as private individuals to benefit from the deal and um hopefully non-oil exports will grow this year i think there's been a lot of promise according to um, data and statistics, and as you rightly pointed out, uh, there's no one-size-fits-all for us to transmit this um, success in the tech sector to other sectors. So, thank you for that. And we'll move over to the um, second to last um, area we we'll would look at, is in the area of FDI, Foreign Direct investment. What do you think? I mean, of course, the obvious reason this year for a lot of people not investing in Nigeria and also in other parts of the world was because of the uncertainty the pandemic brought with it. So, people didn't know whether they would get their, their profits, people didn't know how many people they could uh, employ, and, and also they couldn't. Rightly judge the scale of their businesses and into the different sectors they were willing to invest. But now, apart from the pandemic, what would you think has been a major barrier for FDI in Nigeria?
1: Um, I think that the Nigerian market size is exaggerated. (laughs) Um, Really? It is. It is. I mean, so from I'll I'll go back to that same. Multi-dimensional poverty report that report says that 98 million nigerians are
2: multidimensionally poor mm. well, like, um, how sorry many? to stop you there but, we shall have, but for those of our listeners who might not understand what this means like in laymasters what, what do they mean when like i mean i know people say okay this person is poor this person lives below the poverty line but what does it mean to be multidimensionally poor
1: so multidimensional poverty looks beyond the monetary um, terms, right? So yes. it's one thing for someone to be for below the poverty line, you know. Um, Under one dollar a day. One
2: point
1: nine dollars. I mean, NBS has uh, one. I think it's three. It over three hundred naira, um, or somewhere around three hundred naira per day. So it's, that, it's beyond that. It's and it's checking that. Okay, even if you live beyond above this line, do you have access to health care? Do you attend university? So it's beyond literacy or illiteracy rates. It's now checking school attendance, right? Mm. It's checking um, security. Have there been threats around you? Because, I mean, if you have money, but you can't go out of your house, you can't get access to clean water, you can't send your kids to school, do you, are you, do you really have money? So it's just checking that. So whenever, when someone when wants to mention report, it's just that the person... Uh, Apart from monetary terms, the person is also poor in other areas, so it's just a holistic. So, I mean, it's not just money, or it's not just, I mean, someone can cross off one um part of the index and still be poor, right? Yeah, the person can be rich in every other part but still be poor because the person has little access, right? So, yes. um, and that's what multidimensional poverty is. Okay. There's an article in, on, on the Stairs Business website. It's, it's called Show Me the Money.
2: Okay.
1: That article literally shows you maps of poverty rates across the country, shows you maps of how many people have cars across across the country, what the average income per state is. So that article, if you read that article, you don't understand what I mean by the market size of Nigeria, it's grossly exaggerated. Okay. So it's one thing, to have the population, and it's another thing to have a paying population—a population that can afford to pay for the goods and services that are being provided. So, if—and um, then, I mean, also we have the regulatory environment. How easy is it to do business in Nigeria? How easy is it to even register a company with the CAC? Let's start there. <laughs> How easy is it to, you know, all the the the, 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 the issue of multiple taxation. There's the issue of electricity. There's the issue of just irrational and sudden government policies, right? We yeah. saw what happened with the Okada ban. Yeah. situation. After companies had come in to set up, like, there was really, I mean, you could have told them that you were not going to have it after or before they were trying, when they were trying to set up, right? So even these companies had, um, it, there, we also have an ask on sales business where we talk about the Okada ban. You see that they were already laws that were banning that ban um motorcycles from the roads motorcycles of certain specification from the roads so what these um ride hailing companies did was they got motorcycles that were actually allowed yes the government woke up all morning and said they didn't have it they were not having it anymore mm. so those irrational sudden policy changes no one wants to come in after setting up, when they finally set up the day they want to start business, the day the government decides that they are no longer interested in um, having this kind of people do businesses in their country, so those sudden things just make people, you know, very averse to coming to spend their money in Nigeria. Also, mm-hmm. we have the issue of the exaggerated market size. Mm-hmm. So yeah, things like that just prevent people from. Because I mean, FDI is different from FPI. FPI is your setting up. You're, you're investing in companies that already exist in Nigeria. You're just buying shares in them, right? You're just owning part of these companies. Yes, yeah, equity shares. Exactly. FDI means you're coming to literally set up franchises here. Like you're coming to create, build, rent spaces, employ people, and all those things. They're very risky, especially when the business. Environment is uncertain. Tomorrow, the government can decide that they're no longer importing something, and that's the main ingredient for your business. What then do you do? So yeah. Things like that just um, make it very difficult for people to see um, how it. I mean, just it just makes business difficult, really.
2: Okay, okay. Um, I think it's 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 something we we the government and also private sector needs to look into. Um, because I mean, apart from the pandemic, which has been an obvious barrier for some sectors and made it very difficult to to invest in it, over time the the um, our business environment has been known to be, if I could use the word, suffocating sometimes, for certain businesses, and um, yeah. this we lose a lot of money we could have been gotten in precious and foreign direct investment, but hopefully as the year goes on and uh, with the vaccines roll out, and um, hopefully we get to. Get things back to normal, but there could be some signs of um, promise. And we'll look at the final sector now. And as you mentioned um, far earlier in the episode on um, the education sector. So I am a student. I'm a law student at the University of Nigeria, and I've been at okay. home for. I've been at home since the 23rd of March. <laughs> I've been at home since the 23rd okay. of March, and it's been. I, I don't know one word that can capture my feelings. Like I, I don't know whether to say. It. It's not. It's been frustrating, or it's been. It's been shocking and at once, and it's not just me and millions of other students have, have been at home, and this has created a kind of, I um, you, you know what we saw with the SARS protest protests last year. This has created a kind of loop in our lives where we feel like, the I mean, the years is going by and we're not moving. We feel stuck in a way, so we're going to take a, a dive, a little dive into the educational sector before we come to the end of the program, and the ASO strike has. Um, led to less productivity and in, in some sectors and it is affecting the economy, especially in the areas of employment, as you rightly pointed out. so what can the government do to avoid incident strike like this in the future and um, there's a big question there so what are the negative effects the strike has had on the economy? so the first one is what can the government do to avoid this incident strike like in the future
1: um. The government can, honestly, I would not. <laughs> There's an article, actually, wrote an article about this that's getting published tomorrow. Okay. So I will not say a lot of what I want to say. Um, no problem. We'll, we'll subscribe, we'll
2: subscribe and go read it. We'll, we'll do so.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, but one thing I'll tell the government can do is to let the universities be, make them autonomous. I feel bad saying this because a lot of people would hear it and be like, oh, wow, how would she say this kind of thing? But university education is not for everybody. The government should not be this heavily invested in the university education, especially not the government of Nigeria, because they simply cannot afford it. And, I mean, when people hear this thing, they're like, oh, yes, yeah, government, um, people are buying cars, um, somebody's budget is, someone's ministry power budget is something. The government cannot afford, and clearly they have shown that they are not interested in making education
2: a priority.
1: The, no, so, I mean, education is still a priority because it's number, it's, it's top five. It's still part of the top five heavily invested sectors by okay. the budget. But university education is not cheap. And it's not supposed to be cheap. It's not cheap anywhere in the world. But so why is it cheap in Nigeria? Mm. What are we doing that is making it cheap, so the government should let the universities be let them charge how much the university education costs, and let people pay for it let them because for instance now because of the um, issue of autonomy, universities are not allowed to charge they're not allowed to actually dictate what the price of their education will be yes right? yes so that prevents them because i mean the reason for these strikes is. Payment of salaries, they don't want to be put on the IPPIS um, payroll. If IPPIS, um, and, and that's because, I mean, there are a lot of issues there. There are a lot of things there. I would not go into detail right now. Okay. But the thing is, the government does not allow universities to decide how much they want to get as school fees. And that sort of prevents them. I mean, I'm not saying that the government should lift its hands off university education completely. No. But that should not be the major source of revenue. For universities in nigeria because yeah. certainly it's not working so let them charge how much they can charge. let the universities actually function to a large extent on their own let them develop on their own and then this strikes will stop because i mean for instance this strikes was this particular strike from 2020 was not even called off it was temporarily suspended conditionally suspended so the government has to meet conditions first if not the results will continue. Back to after on. <laughs>
2: Exactly.
1: And so the thing is, even with all the solutions from the past that we've seen on this, um, about, that we've seen the government provide with regards to um, the strike issues, they're usually temporary fixed solutions. They're usually, okay, the left side is agreement and the government will fail to meet the agreement. So this, and then the thing is, if 2020 taught us anything, is that you really cannot predict the future. So if universities were at least depending on themselves to a large extent, right? Even if they would struggle a bit in 2020, they would still be able to decide what the next steps are. But then the government did not make as much money. Um, We were seeing a lot of funds getting cut off because, I mean, those funds were percentages of the government's revenue. So things like that are just... We just cannot... um, We can't... um, What's the word now? The government just needs to let the universities go. Focus on primary mm. and secondary school education.
2: <laughs> yes, Pre- yes.
1: Improve them to a standard level. Because, I mean, to be very honest, university education is not for everybody. Mm. In mm. developed countries like the US and the UK, not everybody goes to university.
2: True, true, quite true.
1: So if you can develop your primary and secondary school education system to a level where people then decide on their own, that like is their option. Because right now, people are doing university education not because they necessarily want to, but because they believe that is the major criteria to getting jobs. But exactly. so if we had developed a te- um, technical education system, we had developed a primary and secondary school education system, people can leave secondary school and get jobs in places without having to go to university or higher education. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So that should be the focus of the government right now. Because this university thing they are doing is not working. Mm-hmm. And these strikes will continue.
2: They won't stop until the government lets the universities go. I I think uh, Steves' business will forgive me for saying this. I think you're positioning yourself to be a top policy advisor in the coming years. So um, we'll go for the final question for today, and we'll have to let you go. the final question for today is what are the negative effects this strike has had on the economy? Because you rightly mentioned the areas of unemployment, but are there other areas we're not seeing? Because this is this has been, I think, their third strike in three years. This has been the third strike in three years, and it's frustrating. I, I know of someone who, because of this, had to... Go for an alternative someone who or for example ought to be in law school and said you know what um i'm done let me chase this opportunity that uh, is beginning to to pay to fill my bank accounts and um relatively he's doing well so what what do you think we should consider what are the major effects this high negative effects this is having our economy um
1: i would say that in fact it's not a good look right mm. it also um, it, it would still border around human capital development, education, um, employment. One major issue, even with the graduates that we have in Nigeria, one major issue that employers have is mismatch of skills. Mm. So the, the employers want a certain level of skills, especially mm. um, non-technical skills. Yet students cannot give them, and even technical skills students cannot give them because the education system is not equipped enough to provide this knowledge and this um, this knowledge to these students, right? So things like that just affect the way students um, the way students sort of the, the performance of the students when they leave the universities right? Yeah. So issues like that it just means that even if companies are coming set up in Nigeria their expectation of the kind of um, labor or technical whatever that they would get, is limited. In their minds, they're thinking, okay, this is the kind of people that we should expect to get because of the limitations from the universities. However, Nigerians are known to be very resilient people. They get into the jobs, they get trained, and uh, they're able to sort of improve themselves. Yet, there is still that um, skepticism skepticism about the quality of um, employment. I cannot... um, measure what the impact what other impact has been another impact of the strike is it um prevents international students from coming um so international students obviously everyone knows that the university tenure for um, any school or whatever is not certain and because it's not certain like people don't know um I mean, they don't know what to expect and all of that. Yeah, right? have a so,
2: to do.
1: Exactly. So universities that our foreign students that, for, for instance, are on um, scholarships, tenure scholarships. So if you're in a on a one year scholarship that gives you like stipends and things like that, yeah. you collect the one year scholarship and you come to Nigeria and then they strike for nine months. <laughs> the student is unable to come back because where would they leave? Where yes, would they? How exactly. would they pay for handouts? How would they? Um, transport themselves so those are the issues that kind of student now have lost the scholarship and have lost the school year right yeah, so obviously yeah, the scholarship um the scholarship um well, would not extend the tenure of the scholarship yeah, yes, but yeah. would also not um refund the student the money that the student has lost so issues like that and foreign students should be giving us so good revenue to the education sectors universities but we're not having that because nobody wants to come to the school where they're unable
2: to determine when they will graduate yes yes okay Th- uh, thank you very much Bamishwala. it's 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 been quite a ride today um, you've really walked us through what to expect for 2021 and this has been a nice economic outlook from you um, we hope we can continue this conversation in the future and discuss on future topics. Thank you so much for coming on the program.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate
2: it. No problem. Have a nice day. Benishola. Sure. Uh,
1: you too. Bye.
2: Bye. Yeah.